Our beloved, let's have another moment of just prayer. I want to confess something to you before I pray. I want to confess this. I am extremely distracted this morning. I don't know if any of y'all empathize with that, but my mind is everywhere but here. And um, I know I'm not alone in that <laughs> all the time. Uh, so I, I confess that to you. So as I pray, you pray. Pray for me. Pray for you. Um, we need to be here in this moment. And so I'm going to just ask God to bring us here. Bring us, bring us in this place. Father, um, man, Lord, my mind is just not here. And I, I don't even know where it's at. I'm thinking about all kinds of things, Lord, and I'm asking that you would help me to think on you. Help me to focus on you. Help me to fix my gaze on you, Lord, on nothing else but you. Help me to care about nothing else but your glory in this moment, not how eloquent I am, not how, how well my transitions are in the sermon, not how, how, how well the, the points hit. No, Lord, I just pray that these people would, hit, would hear you and see you this morning. And God, for that to happen, it needs to be beyond me. And for these people here to, to see you, if their mind is elsewhere like mine is, if they're going to see you this morning, it's, it's, they are incapable of seeing you unless you grace them to see you. They're, they're not able to, to, to bring themselves in. And so, Lord, I'm asking for the power of the Spirit of God to rein our minds in to this moment. That if we remember the truth of the songs that we sung, that if we lost everything, we still have everything in you. Because you're our everything. And situationally, it's easy to sing when everything's all right. That if we lost everything, we would still have all things. Sometimes, Lord, those of us who are struggling and suffering, we say, try it. See if you're still singing. And for those of us who are there, I pray that the truth of those words, that the truth of those words would transform the disposition of that heart that is struggling and hurting, that is distracted, that is worrying. That we would focus on nothing but the blood of your son Jesus and that we would glory in that. Lord, in this place, take over. Fix all of our plans and be glorified in doing it. In Christ's name, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Beloved, if you're new to Pillar Church, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab at the, uh, when you leave a, con a connect card outside in the lobby. Uh, that's our way of keeping in contact with you. Uh, they're out there for you, and we do our best to reach out to every and every connect card that comes our way. So fill it out. Even if you're not new, you just need prayer. The connect card is for you. You can write it. You don't have to put your name, but if you do, um, expect an elder or, or, or a representative to call you and pray with you as well as pray over you for that. As well as normal, we have our, our cross-reference sheet. If you don't have a copy, we can get you one, but we're going to be referencing a lot of scripture during the message. And so go ahead and avail yourself to the cross-reference sheet. It's like a thing we do. I like it. I hope you like it. We're continuing our series of the book of Galatians chapter 2. So go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 2. Beginning in this particular section, Paul's going to start to flesh out some of the theology that he's been talking about and exhibiting in the earlier chapters. But before we look at what Paul has to say, 
this morning, I want to bring up this concept of trust. That word trust, that's a trigger word. Because when I say the word trust, your mind automatically starts to think of people who have spurned your trust. Right? That's kind of what happens when you say that word trust. Who is trustworthy? And I know that we've all experienced people who have betrayed our trust in some way, shape, or form. And you're, you may be even thinking about that person right now. But in order for someone's trust to be betrayed, there has to be someone, a betrayer. And that's the category that none of us want to put ourselves in. But I believe that's the category we need to start placing ourselves in. Because then I think we'll have more grace and favor on those who betray our trust. I don't know about you, but I've burned people's trust in my life. I've hurt people. And you've hurt people. And I've done it by accident. Right? And, and you guys have done it too. You've hurt people. And usually, and I hope, hopefully, none of you have hurt anybody on purpose. But you've hurt people. They've expected something from you. You didn't follow through on what you said you were going to do. Or you didn't do it in the time in which you said you would do it. Or, or whatever it was, you fell through and somebody's trust was was spurned through you and your actions. You lashed out by accident. You lashed out on somebody. And now they're, they're, they're hesitant to even share with you anymore. Beloved, that's real life stuff that we, that, we, that we deal with on a daily, especially, I mean, relationships. Relationships are hard. And then if you're anything like me, you try really hard to make up for what you spurned. And you start doing, you start being overly kind and overly available, and overly gracious, and overly X, Y, Z. Have you ever done that? You try to earn your way back into the good graces of the people whom you spurned by accident because you're trying to show them, nah, I got nothing but love for you, even though I burned you, my bad. And you start being overly kind. Is that, have y'all ever done that? Is that just me? Y'all can talk to the kid. Come on, y'all know what it is. Yeah, that's what we do. But you know what's crazy is that more often than not, that doesn't work. You keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep trying to be extra kind, you keep being extra available, and that person still, because of the, the, the issue, the, 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 I hate to use this word, it's another trigger word, but Lord forgive me, I don't have another word. Because of the trauma of what happened to you, you're not willing to extend favor and grace to that person. And so there's nothing they can do to earn favor with you again. Right, it's like they can try as much as they want and you just keep, re they keep rejecting you and if you're on the other side of that, you, we tend to do it. We just keep pushing them away. Trust is hard. Relationships are hard. And what we need as both perpetrators of betraying somebody's trust and victims of having our trust betrayed, we need to practice the art of dispensing grace. Because we talk about dispensing grace, but we are very poor as humans at dispensing grace. You are and I am. We need favor and grace. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see the model of grace being the model of of dispensing grace from our Lord Jesus, in particular to these Hebrew people. Last week, we, we talked about the confrontation between Paul and Peter. And remember how I talked about we think about those poor Gentiles who were sitting at the table when Peter got up and left. How did it feel to be rejected? in front of everybody, and, and everybody pulls away from them. How did they feel? But who was, who was Paul talking to? The perpetrator of the event? And what did he say? There's grace in the gospel? For the guilty one, there's grace. We don't like that. 
Beloved, we are guilty and we need grace. Because we can't stack up. And in this passage, we're going to see that fleshed out. Look at with me in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Starting there, it says, Paul speaking, and he says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Verse 16. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Jesus and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Stop there. Beloved, in these two verses, the Apostle Paul is speaking to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And he's reminding them that although they are the recipients, the Hebrew people are the recipients of God's law, even though they received God's law, they themselves, the ones who received God's law, are no longer trusting in God's law to make them right with God. If you look in your cross-reference sheet, you'll see a word there. It's called, the word is justification. Justification means technically to be declared righteous. I'm going to say it in, in my vernacular, to me, I'm going to say it the way I say it so that you're made right with him. You're, you're justified. You're made right with God. You're cool with God again. You're good. You're Gucci. Between you and him, it's a 10. Everything is all right. And he's telling these people who are used to the law, and they, they used to put their hope in their ability to keep the law, and they're no longer doing that. They realize what they needed was grace and favor. Beloved, when it comes to our being morally right or trying to keep God's law, we have the right goal, but we have the wrong road. The goal is to be made right with God. That's good. You want that. Everybody, I don't know anybody in this room who doesn't want to be made right with God. That's the right goal. But the problem is that we don't have the ability to attain the goal. And trying to be made right with God by striving, for, just by striving to be perfect is hopeless. Beloved, we lost that a long time ago. You stole that candy bar a long time ago from that, from that gas station. Right? That was, that was years ago when you kicked your little brother down the stairs. You lost that a long time ago. At some point, all people everywhere will fall short of keeping God's perfect standard. That's what the word says in Romans chapter 3. Beloved, look at your cross-reference sheet. It says in 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that all is all-encompassing. You're in there. Now, I don't think there's a person in this room who will claim to be without sin in some way, shape, or form. I don't think we, those people exist anymore, people who think that they're perfect. I think we come, we come to realize no human is perfect in this world. And likewise, I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't want the joy and peace that comes with being in a healthy relationship with God. However, you feel like a hamster on a pinwheel. I don't know about you, but I have strived for God's favor. I've done things trying to earn a right standing with God. You have too. And we're going to talk about that towards the end of this message. But what ultimately happens is we feel like a hamster on one of those spinny pinwheels. The goal is good because in front of the pinwheel is the carrot. It's nutritious. It's bright. It's delicious. It will fill you. It's what you want. But you're striving and grinding and sweating and you're not getting anywhere. And as soon as you stop, you spin around in a circle and get dizzy. That's what happens. 
when we strive by our own methods, in our own ways, in our own blood, sweat, and tears to attain that word justification. You can't do it. There's no way for you to do it, beloved. We're hopeless to do such things. What a hamster needs is the grace and favor of his master. The hamster needs his master's hands to work on his behalf. And beloved, we need the master's hands to work on our behalf if we're ever to attain the, the right goal that's before us. But we got to take the right road. You, me, you, these Jewish brothers and sisters who are hearing the Apostle Paul speak in this letter are just like the hamster on the wheel in need of the tender hand in favor of God to work in our behalf. And beloved, this is where the person of Jesus enters in for us and for them. Jesus himself is the grace of God. Jesus is the favor of God. Jesus is the hand of God that they need and that we need, that you need and that I need. The person of Christ is who your eyes need to be fixed on not on your own efforts of trying to attain righteousness. This is why Paul is speaking to these Jewish brothers and sisters, and he's saying that they themselves have entrusted themselves to Jesus and not their ability to keep the law. And this is why if they're going to do it, beloved, how much more does it behoove us to entrust ourselves to the person of Christ? Although we're unable to keep God's perfect law, look what the word says in 1 Peter 2.22 in your cross-reference sheet. Even though we are imperfect, look what it says about the person of Christ. It says, Jesus never sinned. He never spoke deceitfully. When he was verbally abused, he did not return an insult. And he, when he suffered, he did not threaten retaliation. Look at this part. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God, who judges righteously. Beloved, this is ABC stuff, but you never come off the ABCs. Otherwise, you're no longer doing work in, the, in, in, in this milieu. It says, he himself carried, Jesus himself carried our sins in his body on the cross that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. This is what it says in Peter. It says, our instant healing flowed from his wounding. And then it says, for us. We were like sheep that continually wandered away. And then Peter exhorts his people, but now you have returned to the true shepherd of your lives, the kind of guardian who lovingly watches over your souls. The Bible says that that pinwheel, also called the law, is finished in the person of Jesus. And a better word than finished is illuminated. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, look what it says in your cross-reference sheet. It says, for Christ, the end, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Beloved, if you have placed and entrusted your life to the hands, the good hands of Jesus Christ, the law is no longer and never really was a means by which for you to be okay with God. And I'm going to highlight a bunch of ways in which we do this every day and we belittle the cross in our efforts to be made right with God in and of ourselves, beloved. This is why Paul says this in Galatians 2, 15 and 16. This is why he says we are Jews by birth, not Gentiles. 
And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Beloved, you can see why we need to, uh, me and you need to entrust ourselves to Christ. Because apart from him, the scripture says, no one is made right with God. Colossians 1.20 tells us that Jesus makes peace between you and God through the blood of his cross. And he does it in such a way that by faith, when God looks at you, he sees you cleansed by the blood of his son shed for you. Beloved, y'all know we can get into the deep theology stuff. Y'all don't need that right now. What you need is to put your eyes on the blood of Christ. We can talk about the Greek and Hebrew words for all this stuff. Guess what you need? The blood of Christ this morning is what you need. That's where you need to be placing yourself, right there. You haven't graduated from it. There is no graduation from that. It's just a return to the same old truth of what you need. Why do I, why do I, why do I put it so simplistically? Because we forget so easily. We easily drift in our lull to sleep from the basic truths of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith. It is amazing because none of you deserved it nor earned it. That means somebody valued you and loved you enough to give of themselves. You have worth in the sight of God, beloved. Your circumstances tell you you don't. The world tells you you don't. You need to do this or be this or have this or have that. No, beloved. In his sight, you are already yes and amen if you have faith in his name. It's just simple. Beloved, you need them this morning. They just need the simple truth this morning. Jesus makes peace. It's funny because the text is talking about how he makes peace between us and God, but there's, there's so many ways in which Jesus makes peace for us. He brings shalom to our soul. He gives us rest from the anxiety within us, knowing that there's a sovereign God who gave himself for me, so he must love me, and he's watching over my day-to-day. Nothing happens outside of his sovereign will. It's hard if you're going through, but it's truth that you can tether yourself to if you're one of those people whom it's hard for. Because tribulation causes you to fly away from truth. Tether yourself to the gospel and it'll keep you. Though you be out there like this, though, God will hold you. And he'll slowly bring you back into the truth of the gospel. Sometimes I'll hear this refrain, Pastor K, you mean to tell me that all my sin, past, present, and future, are all forgiven if I simply turn from my sin and self-striving and entrust my life to Jesus? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Then I hear this. This happened this week. I got it right here. This actually happened to me this week. But Pastor K, doesn't that give me a license to sin all willy-nilly? Since it's all going to be forgiven anyway, right? Nah, that's not what I'm saying. What's beautiful about this passage is that this is one of the questions that the Apostle Paul anticipated in this passage. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He says, But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. In other words, beloved, let me just give you another words. In other words, doesn't trusting in Jesus let people get away with murder? 
right? That's kind of the, the concept. Doesn't that help people get away with murder, trusting yourself? To Je- Jesus isn't the great savior. He's the great enabler, if that's the case. Because you can just do whatever you want, and he's going to clean it up. And you can go sin again. He's going to clean it up. And that's the argument, right? That's why we need the law. The law is what's going to keep you from sinning all willy-nilly. Beloved, y'all got the law. Did it keep you? It ain't hold none of y'all, did it? We say we need the law, but we're looking for the power of the law to do something that the law is impo- incapable of doing. It doesn't have the power to hold you, beloved. It doesn't have the power to transform your soul. The law, at best, is a behavior modification tool. It keeps you from going off the edge. It doesn't make you right with God. It's like trying to legislate morality. King has said it. Of course, we know that these laws aren't going to change the heart of men, but it can stop them from lynching me. In a similar way, we know that the law is going to keep you maybe, possibly, from going to the extent by which you think you ought to go, but it doesn't do anything before you and God. You're still dirty, still filthy, your heart's still grimy. We need something stronger than the law to keep us. Not only does the sacrifice of Jesus make us right with God, but it's also the power to keep us and hold us rightly. There's another word in your cross-reference sheet called sanctification. Y'all see that? And it's being made evermore into the image of Christ. It's, it's living a more righteous life. But there's a caveat to this. Because if we put sanctification before justification, we're as guilty as these individuals who think that they can become right with God by, by being righteous. You see, you cannot ever be justified before God without first being sanctified. Is that true? No, beloved. You are justified by God, and then you are sanctified. Beloved, God justifies you, and then he sanctifies you. You can't sanctify yourself to be justified before him. And that's the means by which you are held. It's the power of Christ in you that holds you. We're going to get more into that in the next couple of sermons as Paul's going to elaborate for us the true mission and meaning of the law and what's going to truly hold us before God. Verse 19 and 20 is also going to help us that, but before we look at those verses, look what he says at the end of at verse 18. He says, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. In a nutshell, we can't return to the pinwheel, beloved. So I want, to, I want you to get this striving in order to satisfy God out of out, out your system. This thinking that you're going to be able to attain favor with God by being good, get that out your system, unbiblical. You're returning, you're rebuilding those things that have been torn down, that striving, that, that, striving, that grinding to be justified. Jesus exposed the, true, exposed the true meaning of what that pinwheel was for us. Let's not go back to using it for the wrong purpose. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. It says, for through, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. For the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. Beloved, seven Sundays of sermons you could spend us on these verses, but I want to give you the most salient point in all, uh, the most salient point from this, and that's this. That by faith our identity has been drastically altered. That old you who is killing yourself to urge God to earn God's favor is gone. It's dead. It's been crucified. But also the the old Jew that killed themselves trying to earn people's favor is also dead and crucified because some of us are enslaved to what people think. The old us that thought only about us and how we could come up, that person is dead. The old us who thought that them drugs and that liquor was going to be able to take away the pain, dead. The old us that trusted in ourselves and bet on us, dead. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, beloved? How trusting yourself is a damnable sin. Don't do that. Don't bet on you. Beloved, it's not only that the hamster wheel has been exposed for what it is, but the hamster, the mentality of the hamster has been drastically transformed and changed itself. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Beloved, Jesus not only exposes the real true meaning and purpose of the law, which we'll see in a, few, in a week or two, but he also changes the disposition of our minds, knowing that we're no longer going to use that as a tool to be, right with, to, me, to be made right with God. It says we're a new creation in Christ. Old things are past. New has come. Ephesians 3.16, in your cross-reference sheet, in the NLT version, it says, I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you what him? Trust him. Not as you spin on the pinwheel of law and morality. As you trust him. As you trust him. Beloved, why did I start with trust? is hard. <laughs> it's hard. But what do we learn about the gospel in Romans 5.8? That Jesus knew it would be hard, and so he demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, he gave the ultimate display of love, which was his life for us. And though some of us may die for a good person, perhaps Jesus died while we were still yet sinners. And at the right time, he died for the ungodly. Insert your name. I know it's hard. You've been conditioned for the 20, 30, 15, whatever, 40 years of your life. You've been conditioned to trust on yourself, to look at yourself, to earn everything you have. And here comes this countercultural reality. No, it's not about earning. It's about faith and trusting, and believing, and beloved, that's the call. I wish I could make you believe, but I can't. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to transform your heart and your mind and your soul. By faith in Jesus, we are completely and totally transformed to identify and align ourselves with him. We unashamedly bow our knee to Jesus. Though Satan, listen to this, Satan will always try to make you identify with something other than Jesus first. These are the tools that he's going to do. He's going to make you identify with your political party before Jesus. He's going to make you identify with your theological camp before Jesus. Because we do that. They could be a, oh, you see, you're about to get me. They could be an orthopraxical heretic, but we hold them up like they're high. Because their orthodoxy is good, but, I mean, their life is trash. But, you know, since they say the right thing, we're going to hold them here. Nah, B. That's heresy as much as our own truth is heresy. 
Don't get, don't get, don't get overly uh, swayed by your theological cant. Beloved, don't get overly swayed by your cultural or ethnic identity either. You've been transformed. You're a new creation. I'm not saying abandon your theological camp or abandon your cultural ethnicity or even your political position, but they are all subservient to our identity in Jesus first. That's the first thing we go to. What does the book say? What has our Lord said on this thing? And then when we get burned by one another, it makes it hard to trust one another. Why? Because we placed our identity in something other than Jesus. Not being gracious, not giving favor, but being dogmatic about things that are not truly in the text. But faith says something different. Faith says it's Jesus over everything. Faith says that he was crucified, that we were crucified with Christ, that I am his and you are his, and now we live for him. And by faith, his power is in me and I can do nothing to earn a right relationship with God he loves me and saves me by grace through faith it's all him and the quicker we acknowledge that beloved the quicker we'll be set free <laughs> lastly beloved I want us to look at the warning the Apostle Paul gives in Galatians 2:21. receive this as a warning he says this I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died for nothing. Whew. Man, I want to, man, I'm going to teach a class on this. There's so much I want to, I want to pull out. But just look at this. As Jewish men here, that's who Paul's speaking to, as Jewish men descending from the loins of those who received the law at the base of Mount Sinai, and people who held to the law and held the law of high esteem for hundreds of years, it would be easy to see why they would fall into this idea that they would set aside the grace of Christ and hold up the law. It's easy to see that, why they would. But beloved, we do the same thing. We're guilty of the same crime. We opt for other things over Jesus. I said this three times, but when you're trying to be good, to be accepted by God, rather than as a response to God's goodness and kindness to you, you're setting aside the grace of God. When you think that you're rejected by God because of the sin that easily entangles you, you've now set aside the grace of God. When you feel guilty for falling behind on your reading plan, you've set aside the grace of God. When you hide your sin, you've set aside the grace of God. When you've fallen in sin and you hide yourself from others, you've turned aside from the grace of God. When you refuse to let people pour into you and love you and to open yourself up that they may love you, you've set aside the grace of God. When you refuse to forgive someone who's wronged you, beloved, you've set aside the grace of God. When we confuse justice for vengeance, that's a cultural moment. We're gonna be hearing more about that later. But when we confuse justice for vengeance, beloved, we've set aside the grace of God. When we slip up and think that certain people don't deserve the grace of God, which is who, you know, those people who betrayed you, that's what we put them in. We've set aside the grace of God. And if we think for a moment that by obeying the law, being morally upstanding, that somehow there's going to merit favor and acceptance with God, we have set aside the grace of God. And we've belittled the cross of Christ. At that point, it's not nothing but the blood. It's nothing but your effort. But before Christ, your effort is filthy rags. What did Paul say in verse 21? 
I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. May that statement be anathematized from our vocabulary. Christ didn't die for nothing, beloved. He died for you. Because he knew you couldn't attain. He knew that you were going to struggle. He knew that you were going to suffer. Let us not set aside the grace of God by knowing the great lengths that he went to to redeem us. Beloved, if you are here this morning, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, or you don't even know where you are, and you know you are guilty of setting aside the grace of God, I want you to confess that to God this morning. If you have been guilty of allowing shame to rule you, rather than the glorious blood of Christ cleansing you from that shame, I want you to not set aside, I want you to repent, repent from that, confess that sin. And if you're guilty of trying to earn your favor with God, which we all are at some way, some level, form, or another, I want you to trust his word. I want you to trust his blood to confess that sin, repent from it, and actively practice that God, actively pray and ask that God would help you to trust his work on the cross. Because, beloved, it's enough. It's enough for you. Don't let false shepherds shepherd you anymore. Be shepherded by the good shepherd who loves you and gave his life for you. Lord Jesus, there's so many intricacies in the passage, but I pray that the, tr the salient point is clear, not by works of the law, not by our moral actions, but by your blood and your, and your work only. These people, Lord, I believe, because, I, Lord, true confession, I needed to hear that. They need to trust in you. I need to trust in you and you alone. But, Lord, it's hard because I've been burned and I've burned people. And I feel unworthy to receive grace. These people, Lord, in many ways probably feel unworthy to receive grace. And guess what? They are. But you love us anyway. It's the definition of amazing grace. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for loving me and giving yourself for me. Thank you for revealing to us in this generation that the law is never meant to make us perfect, that faith in you has always been the means by which we are made right with you. And I pray that as we continue through this book, the logic and the theology of the Apostle Paul will emanate in our hearts and souls and equip our minds and hearts to trust you. Oh, it's so hard to trust, Lord. Help us trust you. Fill us up. Encourage us and give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.